Welcome everyone to episode number four of the Rise of Up series. If you're new here, the Rise of Up series is a really cool place where I interview amazing people and get to hear their life stories and how they overcame whatever difficult circumstance they were handed and um, how they learned to not only survive, but ultimately thrive. And I'm really excited because my guest today, her name is Virgie Sanford. And um, she she's very close to me because she was actually my boss um, for two years in college when I did a um, really rigorous summer internship program. And a brief bio about her is that she is the second out of seven kids. So that's awesome. I'm raised in South Dakota. And she is currently a director for Southwestern Advantage. She is the highest ranking woman in the history of the 150-year-old program that helps, helps build skills and character in young people to achieve their goals in life. She currently manages over 300 people in her role, and she has 15 nieces and nephews. So welcome, Virgie. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah, <laughs> no, this, actually. this is so fun. <laughs> So um, I do have to ask you, I, I think you might be the only person I know from South Dakota. So what is the best, if, if someone said, what is the number one thing they need to know about South Dakota growing up in it? What would you say? Of course, people would, people would probably immediately say, isn't that where the faces are? You know, that's, that's kind of the, um, <laughs> I guess, the, <laughs> not Rushmore, the hallmark, but I'm, yeah, I loved, I loved growing up here. I also own, own a home in Texas and I've been there, you know, for most of the past 23 years, but yeah, I just, I do love small towns and small communities where they know each other and where it's, uh, where you don't lock your doors and, you know, so that it, it really was a very sweet place to grow up. And thankfully, a lot of my siblings, I have a sister in Alaska with three nieces, but all the rest of them are right wow. here. So it's fun to have one spot to come back and visit all of them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Alaska is kind of random. Did she just, was yeah. it a job or was she just one a day? A boy, a boy, her husband. Okay. <laughs> He's one day. That's a great reason. <laughs> so she's got Alaska, I've got Texas and then, you know, meet in the middle of South Dakota. So yeah. it's, well, that gives, that gives the rest of your family fun places to visit. Because Texas yes. is awesome, you know, the yes. highest. And then Alaska. Yes, a place to visit in the winter and a place to visit in the summer. Yes. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, um, typically what I do is just kind of give the reins to my guests and let you start where your story begins. And then I'll just pop in and ask questions as I think of them. Mm -hmm. Well, I really think, like probably most of you listening to this podcast, uh, we all have had things in life that we had to rise above, right? We all have. We've all, um, you know, had circumstances, circumstances where we chose to rise above it. But I think for most of us, that probably started as a child, right? Those those habits, that mindset of not giving up, of looking for the good, of perseverance, of resilience, that grit. I think is built. Um, I really think it's built from the time we're little. And so I do, um, I think my story would really start with my parents, you know, two very hardworking, um, hardworking, God-fearing people, God-loving people, I guess maybe is about language versus God-fearing, but anyway, you know, teaching us kids at an, at an early age to work no matter how we felt, right? And, you know, to do, I mean, when you've got you know, when you've got a bunch of little kids, um, on the, again, on the front end of seven kids, I'm the oldest daughter. So that that's a whole lot of, it's not about me. It's about taking care of others. 
and uh, you know, working early on. And you know, I'm thankful that like in middle school, I got a job delivering papers and in South Dakota, if you're delivering papers and they have to be delivered by 6 a.m., that means you're getting up at 4.30 a.m., even when it's 30 below, you know, oh waddling around in my little snowsuit. <laughs> the tears are like, I'm so cold, but getting myself up at 4.30 a.m. to deliver papers. And, um, you know, and that's, so I just want to encourage even the, the parents that are listening to this with your kids. Um, I think sometimes parents, I watch my own siblings, because again, I've got all these nieces and nephews. And I watch my own siblings that sometimes want to make it easier on their children. And I'm like, no, 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 Like, let them work hard. Let them pay for stuff. Let them have to like flight, fight and claw to get what they want. Because I think that does build a grit early on in life. It builds a, a resilience and a not expecting handouts. And also it's not just about me. It's like, we've got to consider others and look out for others too. So anyway, I, I do thank my, my parents and just the situation that I was raised in um, for a lot of the a lot of the mindset, you know, we have different, maybe pivotal points in life, right? So my <clears throat> um, just growing up years of working hard, of being taught to pray when I'm alone, I still have a source. I, I'm not alone. When I'm alone, I'm not alone. And that I still have a source of, of um, strength to go to that is outside of me and outside of my family and outside of my friends and outside of all my other supporters. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that that was embedded in me early on. And then, um, I went off to college and, you know, was, was um, fortunate to, you know, not, not everybody has that privilege, right. But I was fortunate to have that privilege at the University of South Dakota. I was going to say, yeah, did you stay in South Dakota? Okay. I did. Yeah. Cause I had a, I had a scholarship that, um, I could go to any school in South Dakota for free. So I was like, well, let's do that. That makes sense. So I went off to college and I'd already had, you know, I think, I think different attributes get layered into us. So I already had layered into me. Um, so I think some, some work hard, like that, like that attribute of discipline and of working hard and of honesty and integrity that was already layered in there, kind of that base level, but there's lots of things that our parents can't teach us, right? Like our parents can't give us something they don't have. I'm thinking about a couple of young women I work with, um, or that I used to work with. And one of them, Courtney was, <laughs> she was commenting about another young woman I work with, um, that, couldn't, you know, really struggled to listen and would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk over somebody really. And she's like, what is this? What is this? Why doesn't this young woman understand that a conversation would actually stop and listen? I said, well, have you ever been with her parents? I said, she's an only child and her mom, like her mom, that's how her mom talks and her mom can't teach her something that she doesn't know. I said, but on the other hand, um, this other young woman, she, her parents were really phenomenal cooks. She was a great cook. She can cook like crazy. And I said, Courtney, your mom doesn't know how to cook. So you're, you're having to learn to cook now in college. <laughs> She's like, oh, nah. <laughs> so I think, I think for all of us, our parents did the best they could. Like, I think for the most part, our parents did the best they could with what they had, right? They can't give us what they don't know. So my parents knew how to work hard. My parents knew a lot about honesty. They knew a lot about prayer, but they didn't know much about, like, I'm going to say, um, healthy self-talk and like how we coach ourselves, how we talk to ourselves. They didn't know much about that. They didn't know much about like maybe confidence or maybe setting goals or maybe um, like assuming the best in themselves and others. So there, there's things they couldn't give me, right? There's things they couldn't give me. And so that's where I think when young people go off to college in particular, or maybe even in high school, if they have coaches, if they have um, mentors that are really, you know, maybe, uh, maybe someone from their church family or, you know, but they have mentors that can kind of, kind of pick up where the parents left off. Right. 
And so when I went to college in uh, my freshman year of college, I was 19 and that's where I came across Southwestern and it's, um, it's a program that started back in 1868, the, the oldest summer work program for college students in the country. And it was started by a pastor back then with students selling Bibles door to door as a way to pay for college in the summer while building skills and character. So obviously a lot of things have changed in the last 150 years, but the focus on building skills and character and doing it through something really difficult, that's remained the same. And so, um, Anyway, my, you know, I sat in an information meeting as a 19-year-old, February of my freshman year, and everything about it kind of intimidated me. It was, ooh, I don't know, can I work that hard? 80 hours a week? I don't think I've ever worked a 13-hour day. You know, I mean, I've worked hard, but I've not worked an 80-hour week, let alone 12 in a row. You know, so, like, I don't know if I can work that hard. I don't know if I can handle me that far from home really on my own. I don't know if I can talk to total strangers and sell stuff. Oh my goodness. You know, that, that really freaked me out. Right. But at the same right. time, I knew, I knew that my, um, what do I have to lose? I'm 19. It's not like I've got a mortgage riding on me. It's not like I've got kids to pay like this. This is the time. If I'm going to really stretch myself, I'm going to do stuff that scares me. And that's way outside of my comfort zone. Growth happens outside our comfort zone, right? That's where growth happens. We all know that. And so this is really far outside my comfort zone. So it was like, why not just go for it? And, you know, attack a bunch of my fears all at once. And uh, where I finally had peace about it was maybe two weeks before the summer when I decided, you know what, even if I'm able to just like, just pay my expenses for the summer, my gas and my food and not make anything more than that, it's still going to be worth it. Cause if I don't try this, I'm always going to wonder what if. And so that's when I decided to go for it. So that was a life-changing summer because it was, you know, working by myself, um, 13, 14 hours a day. I had, yes, I had roommates. Yes, I had a host family, but still 13, 14 hours a day, just me and God, you know, and meetings typically on a typical day, 50 or 60 people where, you know, if you're knocking on somebody's door, even if you've got. Yeah, I mean, pe- people's initial reaction is going to be, "Who are you? What are you doing?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, please don't bother me or talk to me. Like you're not just yeah. working from neutral; you're working from negative most of the time. Right. Yeah, and so to be able to connect with <laughs> connect with a total stranger and learn to give grace and learn to let things roll off my back and not take things personally and have my identity come from within versus from how somebody treats me or from my mom or dad or my friends needing to prop me back up. That was a life changing summer. And, you know, I'd hold, I heard my whole life, you can do anything. And then I finally knew it. Like I finally, that summer, I finally knew it. I can do anything. I can do whatever I set my mind to because I have the work ethic for it. I have the grit for it. I have the courage for it. I have the resilience for it. I will get back up. I can trust me for that when nobody else is around. So that was, again, it was, it was a life-changing experience. And that's what made me decide after college to actually do a career with Southwestern was because of just how much I grew in college because of that, the the program. Okay. So that's sort of the, that's sort of the groundwork for um, what I think you're, you know, what you would ask me to share here, like really um, rising above something major, major. So when I was, um, summer, I turned 30 years old. I had about 160 people that I was leading that summer. And um, I was driving from my grandparents' house in North Dakota down to a meeting I was going to run for my students that were um, selling that summer. So anyway, I was in South Dakota. I was on I-29. Those of you that have ever been on I-29. I was on I-29 and uh, on a Saturday evening and I was kind of tired. I was really tired. And my cruise was set probably 
I mean, the speed limit in South Dakota is 75. So my crew's probably set on 85. Drove a little fast. And I no, was driving down the center state. It's like, well, kind of in a rush. And I fell asleep. I fell asleep at the wheel, which is the problem when you've got cruise control on. Like that and going 85 miles an hour. That is a problem. I, I do drive more safely and I don't drive down when I'm really tired. We we did learn. But anyway, um, <laughs> so driving down the interstate, uh, it's that Saturday evening, I fall asleep and I wake up in the ditch, like wake up with a jolt, and I immediately go to get back on the road, but as I, as I, you know, but right, right there, there's this guardrail. So I'm driving along this guardrail and I have about two seconds to realize that the reason there's a guardrail is because my ditch is about to end. My ditch is about to end in a complete drop-off um, because the interstate was becoming a bridge, except I was on the wrong side of that bridge. I was in the ditch. So here's the bridge. Here's my car. You know what? I should have showed some pictures. Nicole, I can show pictures. If you want, do you have pictures? This sure. Is yeah. Like I could show pictures. <laughs> okay. So you can see where, so I was launched, right? So I had about two seconds to realize my ditch is ending. That was here in spot one. Like, Oh, the little okay. SUV I was in flying through the air. That's where the side of my tire was scraping the bridge, right? Okay. We left some permanent rubber on the side of the bridge. Wee, wee, wee. So I was airborne the length of a basketball court soaring through the air. And landed, you can see this is where I landed right over here. That's where my, my vehicle. So kind of land, you know, nosedived into the very Dukes of hazard, but there is not a soft landing when you soar through the air, the length of a basketball court and nosedive into no, the ground. No, yeah. So that's where we nosedived in. So when, and of course I'm pressing the brake really hard, which doesn't make you stop when you're midair, right? Like pressing the brake secret that was with my right foot. And so when I nosedived into the ground, the engine was shoved into the front seat. So the engine um, crushed my foot, shattered my leg, like my femur shattered it. Um, the, uh, my seatbelt was holding me in, which was a good thing. Um, it was holding me in, but the problem with that is that it tore up my abdomen, broke a few ribs, tore up this actually, yeah, my shoulder right here. Got some, got some scars right there. Um, yeah. So it, it was really, there's not a staff landing when that happens. Right. And then my car, you know, flipped and stuff and like burned some grass and then landed over here. So it was a really, really bad accident. And my head also hit the, um, hit the side of the window on, you know, with, on the, on the way down, um, which, so anyway, that's, that was, that was the accident, right? So I lost over half my blood before I got to the hospital. Uh, thankfully there was a farmer watching this whole thing. That's like, oh, there is a car flying through the air. What? So he was on the phone with 911 by the time I hit the ground. And um, was thankfully able to direct direct the EMTs to where I was because this was kind of a this is South Dakota, right? There, I was eight miles, and, you know, four miles between either exit, but they were able to get to me, get me out of the car, and um, get me immediately to the hospital. So yeah, I had something like I don't know, like nineteen pints of blood put into me. Right? I mean, it was I, again, I lost over half my blood, and um, what happened was um, the you know, I, I was in a, I went into a, I was in an induced coma because of the severe, the brain injury over here. Maybe I'll go ahead and show you. So here I am in ICU. Wow. And, um, I had to have this, this foot was crushed right here. And the, I had a rod put in my leg in place of my feet. Cause the femur was broken. Like it was a spiral, but all the way. So anyway, I have a permanent rod there for my femur, some screws in that knee. We didn't find out till after I came out of my coma, this leg was also broken. I was hopping around on crutches, but anyway, um, and they sewed me back up. 
sewed everything, sewed oh stuff gosh. back together here. I had an artery that was torn, so I had to sew that together. <laughs> but in the because of my all the internal injuries, uh, my body, my kidneys weren't working very well, so my body just swelled while I was laying there in my coma. The first eight days, I gained thirty, like thirty two pounds just in fluids because my kidneys can process that. So then, then you get bad bed sore, you know, all that messy, messy. Oh. There were other things that were found a couple months later, like I had broken this wrist. Um, but again, that wasn't found until two months later when I was hopping around with my, with my walker. And I was like, Oh, I told my physical therapist, I'm like, every time I move this wrist, it really hurts. And she goes, she goes, we're, we're going to get you x-rayed up. Oh, yep. Let's do surgery on that one. Here's your scaphoid's broken. So, um, anyway, so it was pretty major, right? So here's my mom and my mom and two sisters just praying over me there in ICU, um, doing healing touch where I, yeah. Um, so it was, it was pretty messy. And, um, this is, this is here. And again, I see you, um, a couple nurses washing my hair and oh. I was totally out. And, wow. um, so my family was told, um, my family was told that, you know, when, when somebody's in a coma, when somebody's in a coma, they're, they're, really their conscious mind is not working. And, um, my family was told, you know what? really it has a lot. If somebody gets through this, it really has a lot to do with their subconscious. It has to do with like their will to live and their positive thought. And, um, it's, it's a, you don't want to have to go through something like this to find out what's in your subconscious. Right. But it's, uh, again, that will to keep going, that will to just keep going, just like to get back up and to look for the good and believe in the good. Right. And so, um, it was maybe eight or nine days after my accident. Again, a couple different foot specialists had looked at my foot and it was so badly crushed. It was kind of a J shape, you know, like my ankle and calcanus oh, had been, um, had just been just little, little pieces, just little pieces in the, you know, your heel bone, right. Just little pieces, but that wasn't really the problem. The problem was that, um, the nerves to the bottom of my foot have been severed. And if you can't feel your foot, you can't, you can't use it. Right. And so both of those foot specialists, they just explained to my family that, um, they said, you know, we, we would, we would recommend that her foot's amputated because even uh, the chances of it healing are so slim. And even if it does, you know, start to heal and gets, you know, it's so painful to have nerve growth. Like think about when you, you know, when your foot falls asleep and it's really tingly, yeah. Oh, I hate that and feeling. So, it's the worst. Yeah. So imagine that, but like times a hundred. Oh Lord. Yeah. Or, you know, imagine that for months, months and months, because nerve growth is super slow. It's like a millimeter a month or something. It's really, really slow. So it says she's going to have so much pain and that people can even deal with phantom pain that, you know, if they have a lot of pain in their foot and then later on their foot has to be amputated, they can still have that phantom pain because the, the nerves remember that even if the foot's amputated. So that's why they just recommended having the foot amputated from the start. And, um, my family, <clears throat> they said, you know what? She really likes shoes. And we think she's going to live through this. We think she's going to live through this. We think she's going to come out of this coma because she is really driven and she works really hard and she's really positive. And, uh, we're going to let her decide if her foot's amputated, but we're not going to make that decision for her. So there was another, uh, the, ironically, the doctor that pioneered the full ankle transplant is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, Dr. Alvai, it's a, and it's a father son team. So anyway, the son, 
um, was the one that then looked at my foot and he's like, you know what? He said, I will do what I can. He said, I will, I will do what I can, but we have to leave the rest of miracles because you can't make nerves grow. You can't make that happen. So he put a couple of huge screws from the bottom of my foot into my leg, kind of screwed my foot into my leg to create a calcaneus, just padded the little bone fragments around it. And, uh, and there was a big chunk that didn't have skin. And he's like, we'll see if we need to do some skin, some skin grafts later, but you know, so, and they said, we'll just leave the rest of my miracles. <clears throat> so anyway, when I came out of my coma, so this is me in the ICU step down unit. And, um, oh. when I came out of my coma and I started to, you know, have more aware. And originally I didn't really have a lot of awareness of how bad my situation was. Like, you know, there's good things about being really loopy. Right. <laughs> so I think initially I told my family, I was like, I was like, I think I'll be out of here in three days. And they're like, okay, Virgie. <laughs> you know? For sure. <laughs> like sometimes it's okay that people don't realize how bad their situation is. <laughs> sometimes that's all right. But anyway, like as I got more aware, it's like, oh, this might take me a week to be, okay, this might take me a month. It might take me a month to get out of here, but we're going to get out of here eventually. I'm going to, you know, and then, oh my gracious, there's like, you've got so much pain. Everything hurts, right? Just everything hurts. But it was, I don't know, it was maybe a couple days later. I, uh, I, again, I, I knew I was loopy because I couldn't remember, couldn't remember hardly anything. I couldn't remember the names of my aunts and uncles. I couldn't remember what state I lived in. I couldn't remember the word state actually. Uh, my mom handed me something to eat. I couldn't remember what it was called. So I said, lettuce, it was a strawberry, but, but my, my brain couldn't even think of the word fruit, you know? So it's, uh, so the, the part of my brain that was injured, and again, you're all listening to me now and you're like, really? That was the part of my brain that was injured was the communication part, this left portion right here. So a lot of my memory was just like, I had to piece it back together. Um, my sister, Julie was, was there, you know, by me. And I was like, Julie, aren't you supposed to get married pretty soon? And she goes, yeah, I got married last summer. You were my maid of honor. That's right. Okay. And then, but as people would say stuff, then my, my brain can make the new connections and remember, oh yeah, but I had to have it all come back to me. Right. So ah, anyway, was it, was this from the effects of being in the coma or was it from the actual the brain injury? It was, it was from the brain injury. So okay. I had like, if you, when you see scans on my brain, like the x-rays in my brain, I had this big blood spot right here, like inside my brain. And it was, so the part that was injured was the part having to do with communication. And uh, of course, you know, like they knew that my brain was injured. Right. And, uh, and sometimes anyway, so yes, in a coma, but I was able to come out of that coma 11 days in where they could get rid of the breathing tube, get rid of the NG tube. Um, I was, I was right at the cusp where they were about to have to do um, a trach because of my lungs filling up. But anyway, we were able to turn that around, right? Able to turn that around before it got to that point. So, um, so yeah, it was when I came out of my coma though, then, then you start to realize the things that your brain, you know, like where the brain injury actually is like the extent of it. And so there was a lot, I just couldn't remember and had to put back together and I couldn't remember words. And then somebody, my mom handed me, I think it was my mom that handed me a card. And I looked at the card, you know, cause I'd had all these cards that people were sending me. And I realized I looked at it and it looked like a foreign language. I knew it was letters, but I didn't, I didn't recognize it. And so, um, that was really hard. Like in a, that, that was about a, a that was about a day or two period where it was, because I mean, I went to college on a full ride scholarship, you know, through the national, so my, anyway, I, I, uh, like being intelligent, being smart was part of my identity, you know, the being really good at school, being a great reader, being, you know, quick and having a great memory. That was part of my identity. And that was gone. That was gone. 
And uh, in the middle of it, it was, oh no, I don't remember, you know, I don't remember how to read. I don't remember. I can hardly talk. I, mean, I had the vocabulary of like a four-year-old. Um, it was, so it was, it was scary and it was hard and it was, who am I, right? Who am I? And, um, and that was about a, again, about a day or two, just, ah, you know, oh my goodness, oh, I can't read. And then I think it took a day because then the next day I was like, you know what, this is my situation. So I think a lot of, a lot of becoming an, a lot of an overcomer rise, a lot of rising above is accepting our situation, accepting reality, right? Accepting where we are not accepting this is how it has to be forever, but accepting this is where I am right now. Again, this is this is my current reality and I will move forward from this. I will move forward from this. This is my reality right now. So this is my reality. Right now. I don't remember how to read. I can't remember words to talk. I can't form a sentence hardly. You know? And we're, we're gonna come out of this. Like we're gonna come, I'm gonna come out of this and remembering the good that comes from that. And so, you know, I thought of my, like I have a, a younger brother, Andrew, who, and thinking about Andrew back in school, um, when he was a little kid, he was brilliant with math, brilliant with all things mechanical, and he struggled to learn to read. And so he kind of didn't like school. Like when he was a little kid, he kind of didn't like it. And as I was learning to read, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have compassion for people where school was not as easy for them as it was for me. I'm going to have compassion for people that struggled with learning to read. I, I'm going to find my identity and stuff that's not just with my intelligence, you know, and uh, goodness, I'm getting emotional right now talking about this, but um, like that was part of even, you know, it, again, it took me a day of feeling sorry for myself and kind of crises and what's my, who am I now to, to, and then be like, Virgie Sue, Virgie Sue, like, this is your situation. This is your situation. And this is not how it's going to be forever. You're going to be forward from this and you're going to be a better person for this. You're going to be a better person for this. And you're going to have more compassion for this and more, more understanding of others for this. And so then I went into, um, so I had like, I don't know, hours and hours of therapy every day here. This is when I got into sure. the, the rehab center and was doing my, oh. um, doing my, you know, hours of physical therapy and hours of, um, <clears throat> I had, um, OT occupational therapy and speech, you know, anyway, at all of that every day. And sorry, I'm trying to, can we get, we're going to dismiss this. Okay. So, um, you know, it's, it's like th there were really encouraging days where I could feel my progress. And, but there were also days where I was so just exhausted, like relearning to read. I remember when I would work so hard, well, first of all, with the alphabet, uh, music is stored in a different part of our brain than reading, right? So I can remember the alphabet song. So I'd look at letters. I'd be like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H. That's an H. Mom, that's an H, isn't it? Okay, that's an H. That's an H. Okay, an H. A, B, C, <laughs> you know? And that's how I do my words. And um, with my little ABCs, and then then my brain would have, you know, it started to remember what letters looked like a little bit. And um uh, and, but then when I'm trying to string letters together to make a sentence, like I just, I distinctly remember trying to read a sentence. I would work so hard to get the words. I would work so hard that by the time I got to the end of the sentence, I could not remember what the first part of the sentence said. It just was like, oh my goodness. And I was thinking about I'm like, man, this is me as a 30 year old woman who's had a ton of training on being positive and working hard and being resilient and getting back up. 
like just compassion for that second grader whose friends can all read where they're struggling to read. No wonder there's little kids who hate school and who are like, nope, I don't want to do this anymore. And because right. for me, even when I, as I started to get a little bit better at reading, but I couldn't read as fast, I, I couldn't read fast enough to actually, like if I needed to read something out loud, I needed to actually memorize a sentence because I couldn't remember it, you know? So that was embarrassing to me. And I'm like, my, I at least have a good explanation. I had this car accident, but for a second grader, or third, so wow, that just gave me so much more compassion for people that struggle and, um, that have learning disabilities. I'm like, man, I soared through. Wow. You know, I, I had no compassion. It's like, what, what do you mean? You don't like reading? Like, come on, get with it. Get it together. You know? yeah. But for me, like just to experience the reality of that by the end of the sentence, I could not remember what the first part said because I'd worked so hard to try to get through it. Or when um, I remember my speech therapist working, there was this word that I sounded out and I, I was like, you know, I'm D I A D I uh diamond what's a diamond what is that that's an oh diamond diamond okay diamond you know so it was like yeah. ah and then every font I had to anyway so it was it was really um I'm looking at the time right now I'm like my goodness how is this time going so fast so that was that was um my brain was actually the hardest injury the ones that most people knew about was most people knew about my foot because it was like is she gonna get her foot amputated but my brain was actually the hardest injury to recover from because that's um and the hardest point for me was about two years after my accident. Um, it was about two years after my accident when, uh, you know, I'd been told it would take about two years for my brain to, to heal. And so I was like, okay, I can deal with that. All right. It's going to take a couple of years and maybe not reading as well. Maybe not being as sharp, not being as fast in my thought process, struggling for words, struggling to put sense together. Okay. I can deal with that. I, it, this is eventually going to end. I'm eventually going to be me again. What I realized two years out that summer, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be me again. My brain is not going to be what it once was. My body is not going to be what it once was. And I realized that, um, and I almost felt I was regressing, you know, like I was pushing my brain so much to try to, you know, I got pushing myself to work at the level I was working before that I almost felt my brain regressing. And, um, that was really, really hard. So sometimes progress also can feel like regress. And, um, even as we rise above, sometimes it, I mean, the two steps forward, one steps back, that, that is a real thing. It's like, Oh, I just got my head above water now. Oh, to Virginia. Ah. That, that is part of the process. That's part of the process. That's part of the journey. And in the middle, when we feel like we're regressing a little bit to be like, it's okay. It's okay. Like to really have some healthy self-talk, have some prayer, have some, have some, um, <clears throat> like willing to just get up and keep going. And so again, part of it, so two years out, it was accepting my situation again, while maintaining absolute conviction that eventually we get through that. Eventually it's going to, it's going to improve again. It's going to improve. So I'm probably never going to be exactly who I was before. And that's okay. Again, I'm going to be a better version of me, a more compassionate version, a more understanding version. Um, so it took me about seven years, Nicole, to feel like myself. It took me about oh. seven years to feel like I was clicking along, you know? And there are still, 17 years later, there's still glitches where I'm like, oh, brain. Oh, brain. Come on. Like, if I'm What's tired of <laughs> tired or stressed, my brain glitches, right? It just does. But um, like that, you know, it, yeah. It's, um, 
It's like you just keep going and you look for the good and accept where I am today and don't give up on where I'll be tomorrow. Accept where I am today and don't give up where I'll be tomorrow. I'm going to back up a little bit to when I was in the hospital uh, with um, healthy self-talk. So I was in the rehab, the step-down unit, and uh, and I, I'd been told about my foot that they didn't know if they'd be able to save it. And I've been told about nerves growing back and uh, sometimes really painful. So I'm just sitting there in my hospital bed. And all of a sudden it was like, it was like, it was like a fire running down. It was like a a bolt of lightning running down my leg and hitting my foot. It felt like my foot was on fire. Like, and immediately it was, thank you foot for healing. Thank you for healing. Like that was immediately what my reaction was immediately. And, um, when my foot felt like it was on fire, because I knew what that meant. What I knew what that meant was that my nerves were coming alive. My nerves were coming alive again. And uh, that incredible pain, that's what that meant. That was a good thing. And so um, again, that training didn't start when I was in a coma. That training of like, speak truth, speak truth in the middle of the pain, speak truth about the good that will come on the other side of it. That training didn't happen when I was in my coma. That training didn't happen when the fire started on my foot. That training happened back when I was 19 years old, doing something that was lonely and sometimes discouraging and sometimes frustrating, 30 plus hours a day, uh, we call it the book field, doing that really, really hard summer program. That's where that training began is like in the moment, speak truth about the good that's going to come from the difficult thing. Speak truth about it uh, because it helps us get through the difficult part and not resent it. And, and it helps make it like gentler, even the hard stuff gentler when we're speaking truth about the good that comes on the other side. So um, so that was, that was what was just there for me, like right then and there in the moment, in the fire. Um, and- So that was a miracle? Did you, was your foot healed? No, no, like it, no, oh, okay. it, no, no, no. So, so nerve growth, your, but my nerves started to come alive, right? My nerves started yeah. to grow. So it took about, um, it was over. So that pain though, like when your nerves regrow again, think that tingling sensation, right? Where your nerves are coming back to life when you've been sitting on your foot and your foot fell asleep and then you get off and your foot tingles, tingles, tingles. That's your nerves kind of coming back to life, being like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> so where I just trained my brain that that was a good feeling. It's like, that's a good sensation. And literally telling my foot out loud, like, thank you, foot. Thank you for healing. Thank you. You're doing great. I'm so proud of you, foot. Like, you got this. You're like, and again, it sounds so cheesy, but our brain needs to know and associate even things that are hard, that are good, though. It's good pain. Like, there's bad pain that don't, okay. If your foot's in an actual fire, we'll jump out of that fire, like right now. But when it's a good pain that's leading to something good, our brain needs to know that's good, right? And so even as my foot over the next year, um, every like if I stepped on a cotton ball, my foot had to be retrained on that's just a cotton ball. It was like, like that, my foot was freaking out. Hey, 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 hey. And be like, wow. foot, that's okay. It's just a cotton ball. Okay, let's pick that cotton ball up. Foot, it's just a cotton ball. Here, we're gonna, and and literally rubbing it over my foot and rubbing my nails over my foot and taking like marbles and just putting, be like, these are all fine feelings. This is okay. This is like literally talking to my foot about that, right? Being like, good job, foot. Good job, foot. Like brain, this is good stuff. These are good feelings. My foot's coming alive. It's growing, it's healing. Um, So it took about, and I did do, um, I, I think there's a lot of, I don't know. There's, there is, I I do think there's something to be said for energy work 
which I know that sounds a little hokey, like some people, you know, with acupuncture and things like that, but I did do acupuncture. I did do some energy work. Uh, it was my second acupuncture treatment. Like maybe nine, nine months later, my brain got reconnected to my foot because I couldn't move my foot at all. The toes weren't connected to my brain. So there were some of those things I did as well. Obviously taking care of my health, um, my sleep, drinking lots of water, you know, good herbal supplements, things like that. But a lot of it, the thing that's applicable to anything somebody goes through is what are you saying about the hard stuff that leads to the good stuff? What are you saying about that? What are you saying about that? So it's like in the moment of pain, whatever your pain might be, if it's pain, that will eventually lead to something good. Let's speak truth about the good that it leads to that helps us get through the challenge, helps us get through the pain of the moment. Um, that, that's crazy that you say that, that actually, because uh, my very first guest was, is my Aunt Peggy, Peggy Miles. And she was telling me she went through cancer twice. She was diagnosed at 29 and at 49. And um, she read a book where this guy beat cancer. He was this huge runner, super healthy guy get, you know, gets diagnosed, which totally didn't see coming. And as he would run, he would envision the sweat, the cancer cells coming out of the sweat or, you know, which, which kind of, as you said, sounds a bit hoaxy or whatever, but Aunt Peg said she did that. And every time she'd go for a run, she would just mentally imagine her defeating the cancer and this cancer cells just coming out of her pours through her sweat and um and she really does credit part of her or her healing and her defeat over beating cancer to that method so um, there's really something to be said for it you know I mean your brain is just so powerful I mean obviously through your whole story that mm -hmm. you you are who you are today and you went from being in a coma and not even I mean that is so crazy to me not even being able to read or recognize letters I just, that's, that, I mean, that's amazing. And it's, it's not going to be bump free. Like anyone's journey of rising above is not going to be bump free, you know? So I think it's in the middle of the bumps. You don't give up. You don't give up and you keep praying and you keep that again, protect your brain with a healthy self-talk literally out loud literally saying speaking truth out loud because our brain needs to hear that right it, whatever whatever thoughts we we let um and sometimes we have two thoughts going on this, this thought that we know is good and this thought that we know is really negative we're going on in our brain at the same time but we give power to whichever one we speak out loud right we give power to it so you speak the truth out loud like you speak the healthy healthy stuff out loud and um, also what i share with the young people i work with is that just because you're a good person, just because you're smart, just because you're hardworking, just because you're a believer, just because you're whatever, doesn't, doesn't mean you're not ever going to go through hard things. It doesn't, you know, pr prevent you from having, having things that feel unfair, right? Or um, tragedy or hardship um, or failure, you know, like we, we can still experience those things. Really good people still experience those things. It's just a matter of how do we handle it? How do we react? we react so in the good days in the easy days in the days when there's sunshine and cupcakes and roses in those days it's still choosing it's choosing to look for the good in those days choosing to be courageous in those days choosing grit like in those easy days it's choosing that at a subconscious level over and over and over and over and over so when the, when we get sideswiped by tragedy or sideswiped by by a disappointment or a failure um Again, reactions come from our subconscious, right? 
that our subconscious has been programmed with so many conscious choices, has been programmed by so many conscious choices that the subconscious is like, get back up. The subconscious mm-hmm. says, look for the good. The subconscious says, choose courage. The subconscious, you know, that I, I don't know if that all makes sense. But anyway, in the good, oh the God, good yeah. average normal days, making those choices to operate with integrity and operate with encouraged and operate with um, looking for the good. Um, so on the hard days, it's like, we've got it there. We've got it there. Yeah. I think, I think really one of the most insightful things that at least I took away from this conversation was that first step to rising above difficult circumstances, you know, in your case, this life crippling car accident was the acceptance piece. Because Mm -hmm. I think for myself and probably for a lot of people, that honestly was the most difficult thing after what happened my freshman year is I truly just, you know, up until last year, actually, I just tried to pretend that it didn't happen. And, um, and you can't do that. You know, you can't, you can't attempt to heal or find genuine joy in throughout, despite a a difficult circumstance until you actually acknowledge, Hey, this happened to me and it's unfair and it's terrible. And I can't read, you know, and your story, but it, it did happen. And so what's my next step moving on from that? And yes. that's really powerful that that was yes. the first thing that you had to do in order to be able to rise above, you mm-hmm. know, figuring out who Virgie was again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I guess um, I like to leave my listeners with kind of one, the biggest piece of advice. I mean, obviously you gave so much really good advice um, and really good insights throughout your whole story. But if there was just one thing that you wanted to leave um, anyone who's listening with, you know, whether it might be something on a smaller scale um, that they're facing within life, you know, like finals week or something, or something very, very deep and, and life-changing, like, you know, witnessing your parents going through a divorce or um, having having a chronic illness or, you know, whatever it might be, but just one thing that you think would would really help whatever situation it might be for them to rise above their own life circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's believing that um, good will always come on the other end. Good will always come on the other end. Like there will be value, there will be benefit, there will be um, good that comes from whatever, like whatever we deal with in this life. I think if we if we, um, like, and this is, this is where, if, you know, my, just, I guess, part of my faith, my, part of my belief in God is that God makes it like, this life is going to be unfair sometimes more than others. And it's going to be hard at times, right? It's going to be unfair at times. Not everybody's dealt the same hand. They're not, we're not, we're not all dealt the same hand. And I believe that whatever's not made fair in this lifetime is made fair in eternity. I do believe that. I believe that our creator is fair in eternity and the balances are, are leveled in eternity. And, um, and even in this lifetime, I think a lot of, like, if we approach, if we approach life with, um, with looking for the good, looking for the good in ourselves and in others and in the situations, looking for the blessings, looking for the silver linings, we'll find that. We'll find that even in this lifetime. And that helps us, I think, to 
um, weather the ups and downs, to see the point in grit, to see the point in the grit's not just, I'm going to prove how tough I am. No, <laughs> the point is like, that there will be good that comes from even hard things. Right. And, um, and how can I, you know, be a blessing to others through that journey? So anyway, I think it's, it's believing that on the other side, that there is good that comes even from very, very hard things always. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That was amazing. And I really appreciate you. Listeners really appreciate you. And um, thanks everyone for tuning in and looking forward to episode number five.